Hello, everybody. It's April 12th, and this is the One Year Bible Tour. My name is David McAdam, and it is a privilege to serve as your tour guide and reading partner as we make our way across the entire expanse of Scripture from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. This is day 102 of our tour, and we have come a great distance already, more than a quarter of the way through the Bible. We are now in the book of Joshua. The next generation of Israelites have crossed the River Jordan. This river crossing becomes a defining moment in the lives of this generation. It symbolizes death and resurrection unto a new life. Joshua is reminding them that this is a new beginning. They are the covenant people of God. They should not be like their predecessors, their fathers who did not walk according to God's ways. Before they can enter into the promised land, they need to remember the covenant sign that was given at the initiation of that covenant with Abraham. The majority of the surviving generation of males had not been circumcised, yet this was the required sign for those who wanted to be participating members of this covenant community of Israel. We are not under the law today, and we have a greater Joshua, Jesus, who has brought us into our inheritance. We are not under Israel's ceremonial laws, but there is much that is relevant, and we hope to glean a lot from our reading of Joshua today. So let's start reading in Joshua chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites, who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haaraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all of the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, Yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were circumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, They kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was by Jericho, He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. 
And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Chapter 6. The Fall of Jericho Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, every one straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests, who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth, until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp, and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once, and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, 
the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Curse before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Chapter 7. Israel Defeated at Ai But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things, for Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more, unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. 
You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man, and he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. And this is the end of our reading from the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. In today's reading, we find out who really is in charge. It's a time of new beginnings and fresh obedience. The Amorites and the Canaanites heard of the Jewish nation miraculously crossing the Jordan River on dry ground during flood season. This was no little matter. They were gripped with fear. Their hearts melted. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Think about the dramatic significance of the phrase, At that time. They were just given a validating sign of God's favor. The Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel, some two million soldiers and civilians in Joshua 5.1. This miraculous crossing was a validating sign of Joshua's divinely appointed leadership. They had the Ark of the Righteous Testimony of Christ borne on two staves of wood and carried on the shoulders of the Kohath high priests. They could all see that it had stood in their place in the midst of what would otherwise be death in the floodwaters of Jordan. Moses, representing the law, had been replaced by Joshua, representing salvation by grace through faith in the greater Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, God to the rescue. The testimony of the Lord's favor upon the people of Israel put fear in the hearts of the Canaanites. To the natural mind, it would be opportune to quickly take territory, conquer Jericho, and move on to possess the land. But that was not God's will. Consecration must precede conquest. The new life in the promised land brought new commands. They were to mark the fulfillment of God's promise to bring them into the land of milk and honey with fresh obedience to new commands. Be consecrated. Joshua chapter 3 verse 5. This probably involved fresh washing, a period of abstinence, focusing on their covenant relationship with God. Secondly, be circumcised. Joshua 5 2. The circumcision of the flesh of the male's foreskin represented the cutting off of the old life, our inheritance in Adam, and beginning a new life anticipating the promise that is our heritage in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Because it involved the shedding of blood, it reminded the Israelites of the necessary blood atonement of the promised substitute. Next, they were to celebrate the Passover. Joshua 5, verse 10. They were to remember the lamb and put out the leaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 to 7. Then, change your diet. Joshua 5, 11 and 12. They were to no longer live on wilderness food, manna, but live off the fruit harvested in the promised land, symbolizing being in Christ on the ground of resurrection. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 2, Make for yourself flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. To the natural mind, it would not make sense to incapacitate your army in hostile territory, but this was not going to be a natural conquest. Other cultures use circumcision as a rite of passage into adulthood, the people of Israel were called by God to use the sign as a mark in their flesh of their enduring faith in God's covenant promise given to Abraham, that from his seed would come a great nation, many nations, 
kings, and a blessing that would flow to all nations. Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, verse 7, chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, verses 18 to 21, and chapter 17, verses 11 through 14. They knew that it was not the physical sign itself that saved them. The sign only had value if faith in God's word was in their hearts. This is why we have the expression in the Old Testament of the circumcision of the heart. Our trust in God is not proved merely by outward conformity to laws or ritual, but in our daily walk of responsiveness to the revelation of God's will in His Word. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 41, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 25, and Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 7. God's people were to put their trust in Him, not the mark of circumcision. The sign of circumcision also indicated that you belonged to the covenant of Abraham and therefore were under obligation to walk before the Lord as a believer. For 38 years, God's people had wandered from that relationship of trust. The time had come for the sons of Israel to renew their covenant commitment and undergo the surgery that would have been less painful had the command been kept to circumcise the males on the eighth day of their lives, marking them as a people belonging to God. Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3. The Lord said to circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. A male could not be circumcised again any more than a person could be born again, again. But from God's perspective, this was the second time He called them to obedience as a people. He called them to obedience through Moses, the law, but they had disobeyed. No one had been circumcised since Passover was celebrated in the wilderness of Sinai in Numbers chapter 9, 38 years earlier. Now he was giving them a fresh call to obedience, a new commandment. He was calling them to obedience on the new ground of the promised land, the resurrection ground, through a new voice, Joshua, whose name means salvation and whose ministry typifies grace. Joshua explains why the new generation needed to be circumcised. For all the people who came out of Egypt were circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. The Lord was pleased with this obedience, saying to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Joshua 5 verse 9 the Lord wants to treat us as believers, new creations in Christ, not as unbelievers, those who are still in their sins. We are not to act like unbelievers, but as those who hear the word of God and do it. Gilgal means rolling or circle of stones, and a circle of stones has been found by archaeologists there. The covenant was renewed not only with the outward sign of circumcision, but with the keeping of the Passover. On the day after the Passover, they eat from the fruit of the land, a type of partaking of the fruit of Christ's resurrection life. Interestingly, the manna ceases to fall the day after they eat from the fruit of the land. Why this change of diet? It is a picture of living by a new source, the life of the one who gave the promise and brought us out. Next we read Joshua meeting the captain of the Lord's hosts. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? When Joshua looked up expecting to see the wall of the enemy's fortified city, instead he sees a man with a sword drawn. 
The man says, No, rather I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? Joshua 5, verse 14. This is none other than a Christophany, a pre-incarnate visitation of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. No angel of God would receive worship, but this one does. He has come not to take sides, but to take charge. The key to Joshua's victory would be his obedience to what the supreme commander would give of both strategy and victory. Both would come from him. The Lord has said to Moses, Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Moses encountered the Lord in a burning bush and was told to take off his shoes, acknowledging the ground made holy by the Lord's presence. Now Joshua is told to do the same. The captain of the Lord's host said, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Chapter divisions might confuse you, causing you to think that this captain just disappeared. But he speaks again in verse 2 of chapter 6. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. In chapter 6 we see the conquest of Jericho. Where is Joshua getting his orders from? The captain of the Lord's host, whom we know is now head of the church, the body of Christ, who fills all things in every way. What has he called them to do? Receive a victory. How? By obeying his command. Victory is promised. But the sureness of victory does not discharge us from our prescribed duties or negate the indispensability of our continued trust and obedience. These are his ordained means of realizing victory. Fresh obedience is the pattern for all of God's servants. Joshua did not lean on his own understanding of siege warfare that starves the enemy, scaling the walls, using battering rams, or launching surprise attacks tunneling beneath the ground. He did not confer with flesh and blood, but instead trusted in the revealed will of God, no matter how strange. The plan calls for unquestioning submission to God. This would be demonstrated in both their action and restraint, in what they did and what they did not do. All the glory would go to God. What was there for Joshua, the priests, and the soldiers to boast in? What did they do to cause the walls to fall flat? The ark was to be given the place of honor, being central in the order of the procession. Joshua was told to march around the city, circling it once every day for six days. God never called anyone else to that particular strategy. The particulars were not meant to be a formula for the conquests of cities to come. Seven priests carrying seven trumpets before the ark, then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. We have a repetition of the number seven, the word meaning enough or complete, anticipating the sufficiency of Christ's work of redemption. With that long blast, the people shall shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people can charge the city. What would seem to be foolishness to the citizens of Jericho would be their undoing. Opportunity was given for the inhabitants of this military fortress to surrender, 
but only Rahab, the notorious yet God-fearing female innkeeper, submitted to the communication of God's word through the spies. Let us not despise what God chooses as his means to bring the enemy's defeat and the captive's liberation, such as the foolishness of preaching. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 Next we read about the sin of Achan. Everything in Jericho was to be reckoned as condemnable, placed under the ban. Nothing from the cursed city was to be possessed by God's covenant people living in the promised land. Joshua pronounced a curse at the cost of the firstborn son of anyone who would try to rebuild this city. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 26. After the conquest of Jericho, Joshua sends men to spy on Ai. The spies report that in their estimation only two or three thousand soldiers will be required, as if their victory at Jericho taught them that the battle depended upon army size. Their assessment of the enemy was, oh, only a few men are there. The result, however, is that the Israelite army is routed by the men of Ai. Why were they defeated? Not because of army size or military prowess, but because of sin in the camp. The Lord speaks to Joshua, saying, Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban, and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have been accursed. I will not be with you any more unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. God promises that the guilty party will be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. In Joshua 7.15 Apart from a right standing with God in Christ, that is what awaits everyone. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 27, verses 30 and 31, and chapter 12, verse 29. The lesson is that you cannot play games with God and lie to the Holy Spirit. One man, Achan, stole some of the items in Jericho that were devoted to destruction. His sin brings judgment upon the whole nation. God had to bring discipline to this new community from the start, even as he did in the early days of the New Testament church with the judgment of Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the Holy Spirit, in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now let's go to today's reading in the New Testament from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 15. And here we have the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the two sons who were lost to their father's love. Verse 1, chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." The parable of the lost coin. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. 
Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And now we have the parable of the two sons lost to their father's love. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends? But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the end of our reading from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 15. Let's look at the context for these parables. Jesus is criticized by the religious leaders for associating with tax collectors and people who are known for their notorious sins. Luke 15 verses 1 and 2, Matthew chapter 11 verse 19, and Luke chapter 7 verse 34. They muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. In response, Jesus proceeds to give three parables of four lost things. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost younger son, and the lost self-justifying brother. Jesus told these parables to highlight the fact that his critics, who called themselves members of the sheepfold of Israel, did not recognize the heart of the shepherd of Israel. He knew that those who thought they were in the household of salvation did not recognize the value of the coin of salvation. He was illustrating that although they presumed that they were sons of Abraham with God as their father, they did not know what life in the father's family is all about. 
They were criticizing Jesus for seeking to save those who are lost. Yet Jesus authoritatively announces that there is greater rejoicing over one sinner who repents than ninety-nine who do not recognize their lostness or their need to repent. These leaders were false shepherds, lacking a shepherd's heart. Jesus, a true shepherd, rejoices in the restoration of what was lost. There is rejoicing in the presence of angels over the repentant sinner. Luke 15, verse 10. In the parable of the two lost sons, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are like the elder brother. They serve dutifully according to their own understanding, but resent those who are objects of God's mercy and fail to see their own need. They are lost to the Father's love. Now let's go to today's reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 81, verses 1 through 16. In the ESV version, this is titled, Oh, that my people would listen to me. To the choir master, according to Gittith of Asaph. We don't really know what Gittith means. It could be a musical or liturgical term, maybe a clue as to how it's to be sung or played. Verse 1. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts, to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward Him, and their fate would last forever. But He would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. This is the end of our reading from Psalm 81. Asaph has earned the right to call us to joy. As a psalmist, he has expressed both the highs and the lows of human experience. He is not a superficial praise leader. Here he calls us to lift up our voices and strike up the band. We have a lot to be thankful for. God has put holy days of thanksgiving on the calendar. The Jews had their seven feasts. We see how they are prophetic signs of the ministry of Christ. We remember Christ, our Passover, crucified as our sinless substitute, put away sin, that's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the first fruit of the resurrection harvest, raised for our justification. He is our baptizer in the Holy Spirit, referring to Pentecost, and the one who will return to this earth, announced with trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets, causing those who smote him to mourn, as prophetically enacted in the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and as he fulfills his promise to tabernacle among us, as prophetically pictured in the Feast of Tabernacles. Israel can sing praises for God's faithful dealings, we can praise God for His providential goodness, the story of Joseph's exaltation to a position of Savior of His people in Psalm 81, verse 5. 
We can praise God for his deliverance, the story of how he brought them out from their bondage in Egypt through the school of the wilderness, in verse 6, into the promised land. The psalm highlights the ruin that comes with a failure to heed, a failure to listen to and to obey the word of God, in verses 8 to 15. However, the Lord makes his steadfast love and goodness clear. But I would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. In verse 16. Now for today's proverb. Proverbs 13, verse 1. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. This proverb follows the theme of the psalm we just read. Now let's pray. O Lord, thank you for your unfailing presence. We wait on your wisdom and your command. You are the captain of our salvation. We trust your plan. We stand ready to heed your instructions as you lead us to defeat all the enemies that war against our soul. Your love offers us your best in Christ, and we are thankful. Your word strengthens us and corrects us. We gratefully receive both the nurture and the discipline you bring to our lives. We thank you for what has been put under the ban of the cross of our old life in Adam. May your life and love be seen in us this day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today as we've been reading through the scriptures, learning more about Jesus Christ, our victor, the captain of our salvation, and as the one who has shown us the truth about the Father's love. And we hope that you'll join us tomorrow as we continue our journey. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at newlife.org. Or you can go to our website if you like more information about New Life Community Church and New Life Fine Arts Musical Theater and all the other ministries of New Life Community Church. Thank you and God bless you.